Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Getting started in podcasting doesn't have to be overwhelming. It can feel like a lot when thinking through the right microphone to use, how to edit, and where to find guests. But since you've been so amazing to listen to my podcast, How to Ride a Roller Coaster, I want to give you something in return. It's called Everything You Need to Know to Start a Podcast in 24 Hours, and it's all yours. Go to realdavidezel.com to grab your free copy to help you get started on your podcasting journey. That's realdavidezel, E-Z-E-L-L.com. Thank you again for listening. It's truly appreciated. Freedom over fame. Free, free, freedom over f- cycle stays the same. Welcome in everyone to How to Ride a Roller Coaster. I'm your host, David Ezel. Here we'll talk with business owners and founders on what it's like to ride the roller coaster known as entrepreneurship. How to navigate the highs the lows, as well as tangible tips that you can use right now to kickstart your business or idea. Let's get to it. Welcome into today's episode of How to Ride a Roller Coaster. My guest today is Mr. Pierce Brantley. Pierce is an author, speaker, consultant, plus a million other things. How are you, my friend? David, so good to be on the show, man. Uh, it's been long overdue. I'm doing really well. Good to be a part yeah. of this. Yeah, man. Uh, no, it, it's definitely been long overdue. Um, and like we were talking a little bit before we started you know, the recording tonight, um, I've been keeping up with a lot of the things that you've been doing. Um, multiple books authored, lots of consulting, lots of speaking. Tell me about where you got into that kind of what your I don't want to say average day because no day is average, but what kind of what's going on in your world these days? Yeah, so as you said, I've been doing the consulting thing for a while now, but really, I mean, if you want to talk origins stories, uh, I mean, I was as a kid, I think I started selling uh, uh, Christmas cards. I'd collect Christmas cards and stuff like that, and then sell it out in front of the house, and call it like my data mind from the beginning. I'd watch the cars go back and forth, and be like. Well, that car passed the house five times. That's five impressions. <laughs> the chance that they're going to buy a 50 cents card is like super, super high right now. Then I learned a lot about false positives too in that whole experience. So I uh, got my entrepreneurial skills really early on from a, from a young age. Um, sold my first company when I was 26, which kind of put me on a, a fun sort of launch into working with all kinds of businesses after that, after kind of getting that behind me. Now what I do is... Uh, I'm a Fortune uh, 500 consultant. I typically work with blue chip companies. But what that's allowed me to do, working on that sort of outer edge of the best of the best companies, is come back around to solopreneurship and say, kind of reverse engineer, okay, there are these different stages that a business goes through that are super interesting and very different. And the title of CEO or founder or president like means completely different things at each one of these stages, right? And so what I'm really yeah, sort of focused yeah. on uh, outside of the fortune work is really just helping that uh, that solopreneur figure out where they want to go and how they kind of need to get the reins on their business. Because if you don't do that, then you're going to be like the like the podcast says, you're going to be on a roller coaster. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the maybe some of those 
key takeaways from these Fortune 500 companies that you have worked with that maybe kind of inspire or help give you leverage when it comes to to talking with solopreneurs? Yeah. So when you think about kind of the way big brands position themselves, they've really carved out one single idea in the in the mind of, of the consumer in the marketplace. And what's funny is solopreneurs, we have tons of different ideas in our head. We're trying to just basically throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And when it comes time to delegate workout, when it comes time to kind of start to remove yourself from the business, a lot of times you don't necessarily know what that one thing is yet. It's growing, you're getting some traction, but you still feel like you're testing, you're still feeling like you're experimenting. And when you're in a really mature company, like very little of that happens. You're on the outer edge of the innovation cycle and we won't go too deep into that, but basically it means you've sort of hit market maturity, which means you're just trying to maintain your footprint and 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 kind of reduce losses. When you're at the solopreneur level or you're at the small business level, it's completely different. You're basically trying to see how you can create a new footprint or take some land away from the big guys. And that creates some interesting sort of problems and opportunities when it comes to bringing people to come underneath your vision because people need a singularity when it comes to buy-in, right? If they don't have that singularity, then they're not gonna trust you as an entrepreneur, even though you're very competent, you're very trustworthy, you've got a total history and slew of, uh, of successes behind you. The pers- people that are coming in to buy into that vision may not necessarily get that unless they've got a ton of focus to kind of come underneath. So that's kind of one of the main big takeaways. Yeah, that's so interesting too, because I I feel like you're exactly right. With the solopreneur, a lot of times there's also maybe not those other people in that circle, especially if they don't have other employees or co-founders, to really bounce ideas off of. You know, I I like this idea. I see where there's some market share here that we could possibly capitalize on. There's a gap in this industry, but is it the right place to go? So is that kind of a mindset thing or would you kind of do kind of like the Seth Godin thing where it's like, look, just ship it, come up with the idea, find where that negative space might lie and go full bore. I mean, how do you, how do you help a solopreneur know kind of where to stop? I love that question. And I think, so it depends a little bit on, on your industry. So you and I both are real familiar with like the software background, the SaaS background. And in that world, absolutely go test a hundred things and see which one works. And you can do that because it's actually cheap to test. Um, if you're going to go build like a, a fighter jet or a new car, <laughs> like it's not cheap to test. You need to kind of have a, good, a simple, you have, need to have a really good understanding of market opportunity before you move into that. So there's a little bit of question around kind of what, what you're doing, but absolutely you need to know that like this product market fit, which I'm sure you've talked about plenty of times on this, on this show. From a mindset perspective though, Uh, When it comes to sort of separating yourself from the business, I like to think in terms of blind spots because how you think as an entrepreneur is going to impact everything you do, whether it's product market fit, whether it's bringing uh, people underneath you. Uh, In my newest book, uh, Not Your Job, we talk about two things called two two basically limiting mindsets and they're called anti-values. And what an anti-value is, is basically a way of thinking about your world, your entrepreneurial world that self-limits you even then you don't, when you don't realize it. And we actually have to get rid of these if we're going to have any kind of success with people or otherwise. 
So the two anti-values, I'll go into them real quick. Uh, one is called the ego driver. The other is called the fear driver. Now the ego driver is, both of these are subconscious. The ego driver basically tells you you and the brand are the exact same thing. There's no way anyone else could come up with a good idea. There's no way anyone else could come up with a new product or a new service, a new way of looking at things because you and the business are the same thing. And you start to get this separation anxiety. And you see these entrepreneurs sometimes where they, they attract good talent because you know they're real charismatic or something. And then they crash and burn or the person leaves and you go like, that seemed like such a good fit. The reason is the ego driver. It comes in and it basically says, there's no separation between the two things. I experienced this firsthand with uh, a C-level guy once. We were trying to launch a really big website for a new offering. They were really kind of innovative in like the social media space, coming up with some new stuff there. And and they were brilliant and they, they saw the market the right way. But every single time we tried to launch this thing, it wouldn't work. And we we're like, why is this not working? We were getting exasperated because we knew we were onto something and we were we were doing the collateral the right way. And finally, one day, they just like just explode. I kid you not, David. They explode and they go, I am the brand. There's no way you can separate the two things. Key, like, I mean, the perfect indicator of an ego driver. And while we may never like think of doing that to someone who comes and chooses to work for us, the truth is, if it's our idea, if it's our business, subconsciously there is a little bit of association there and we've got to realize that once we bring people underneath that vision that there is going to need to be a little bit of separation and there's a good chance they're going to be able to take things farther than you simply by not being you which is a hard pill to swallow but that's part of being a visionary so then the other one i'll go into it real quick is uh the ego driver or sorry the fear driver and the fear driver simply says if i don't do this it's going to fail and most of us deal with this one most of us th uh, really struggle with the idea that someone could do something better th better than us. Um, and also, if you're coming, especially as a solopreneur, if you're coming from someone who used to work a nine to five or used to own a role, the idea that you don't really own anything other than where you're going is going to create some internal anxieties. And that creates a lot of fear that things won't get done the right way. Both of these things are limiting mindsets and both of them we have to realize come at us subconsciously all the time, especially when new people are coming into our world. Man, that's, that's fascinating. And, and so much of this, it feels like I'm flipping through the pages or, you know, listening to the, to the audio of somebody like Seth Godin, Gary Vee, you know, when we talk about um, the lizard brain and those things, you know, where we have the imposter syndrome and I know I just got this great position or I just started this unbelievable company have this great idea but you know i'm sure somebody else out there can do it why hasn't somebody else already out there done it i'm nothing special and you start to just kind of have that that limiting belief on yourself um and and like you mentioned with with founders kind of having that the trouble with the separation when it comes to a lot of times i feel like especially working with you know like founders live where you see a lot of these different entrepreneurs who are solopreneurs. Maybe they are maybe they've just closed a round of funding. Maybe they're about to hire their first employee, something like that. I've seen a lot of times it's hard to kind of separate it founder from baby. You know, it's like, well this is my baby, this is my idea. I it, it's gonna go as far as I go without being able to say, I need to hire talent that can push this baby further than I can. 
I need to hire a great community that's going to help me nurture and raise this baby. I can't do it all on my own. I, I, you know, I, I have the grand vision. I know where I want it to go, but I have to at some point be able to kind of loosen up on those reins and trust those people that I have hired because I did make those hires. And that's where, that's how we're going to get to the next level is to bring people on that share that value, share the, the why of where we want to go and let them help nurture this baby. That's absolutely right. And, you know, we're both parents of, of young kids and, you know, as, as dads, especially like you never want to be helicopter dad, right? Where you're just kind of hovering around watching because why, you know, that even though it may feel natural to kind of want to make sure they don't mess up, the very fact that you're watching to make sure they don't mess up means that you're probably going to play a part in them messing up. Like they need to kind of step out. And it's really hard, right? We do the same thing as founders. We do the same thing as founders. So in the book, uh, I talk about basically four levels. It's called the elevator effect. And there's four levels of delegation that every founder needs to kind of get grips on because each level frees you up to focus more on vision, focus more on execution, focus more on, you know, making your investors happy if that's, you know, an aspect for you. So the first floor is the ground floor is called know what I know, which is simply you have to communicate the history of the company, the vision of the company, the insider language or ways of talking about the brand and uh, the role that that person is going to have. Like that's table stakes. If you don't actually start there, none of your attempts to separate yourself from the work and get other people into it are going to be effective. And the reason they're not going to be effective is because of those eager, those drivers we talked about earlier. Subconsciously, you're going to just pull the work away. So you have to set that good foundation. The next level up, once you've done that, is uh, do what I do. And at that point, you're just simply modeling what you would want them to do. Like, okay, this is how we approach like SaaS marketing. This is how we approach um, product innovation. This is how we approach, you know, HR or finance or anything. This is how we're different, and this is how I'm going to model it. You model it. You show them, and once they, you know, they you they can do what you do in whatever aspect of it is that business. Then you can move on to the next level, which is show me what you do. And once you do it, show me what you do, you're like, okay, now I'm at a point where I'm trusting you with something that I've modeled. Now it's all about you as a entrepreneur getting feedback. You want a feedback loop. That's just called reporting, right? You set up the precedent you want. You set up the feedback loops you want. But the point is you want to be separated from the details, right? Just going back to like the helicopter parent thing. If I watch every single step my kid takes, I'm like, well, that was at a 35 degree angle. Well, that one needs a little bit more (laughs) stability. Like my youngest right now is like walking sideways and he's doing a great job and I'm so proud of him. But if every single time I tried to ask him to like step towards me or go catch the ball or something like that, and and I hyper analyzed every single one of those things, man, I would never go to sleep at night. And how many of us as entrepreneurs we obsess about what our employees are doing or not doing. We're not there. Uh, I call this like like you need to you, you need to figure out what you need in order to get good sleep at night. Once you know those details, and typically it's like two or three things, you don't care about anything else. It's none of your business. It's not part of your business anymore. You don't own that part of your business, so why do you care about it? Let them figure it out and figure out what those measurables are. Um, That's great. Yeah. And then the last floor is simply, um, uh, uh, I can't remember right now because it's 8.30 at night. 
when you're at the last floor, basically the process starts all over again. And when you're there, basically you're realizing, okay, they can do what you can do. They understand the culture and they're giving you those metrics and those feedback loops. Now it's time to start the process over again. And they let rise people up the elevator. And when that happens, you open yourself up to organic innovation, meaning people get to do micro innovations on your business for you. You're not micromanaging. And the thing is growing organically without you even watching almost without your permission. Where do you see hindrances in this? Because that sounds unbelievable from every step. You're allowing them to to grow. You're taking away certain parts that don't impact you so that you can focus on your business without being in your business. Where do you see a lot of the solopreneurs or entrepreneurs with small teams? Where do you see them stumble when it comes to that? So absolutely, uh, it comes down to to micromanagement. And here's the thing. Most of the time we look at other people in our lives and we go, well, I remember they were a micromanager. I hate it when they micromanaged me. I'm never going to micromanage anyone. And then what do we do? We obsess about the details. So micromanagement is not a personality defect or a personality trait. Micromanagement comes from a lack of knowledge. Anytime there's unknown in your business, you obsess about that unknown. Why? Because you care in part, but also because you're trying to basically mitigate risk because everything is so fragile when you're first starting something out. So you, the first thing every entrepreneur needs to realize is that you are susceptible to micromanagement in any area of your business where you are not confident about execution. So what you have to go address is that confidence around execution. So you can either train that up or you can hire that person in. And then from there, you just need to say, what do I, what, what is my definition of success for this milestone, for this project, for this, this service, whatever it is, for this person even. Get that crystal, crystal clear. Go like write it down, like go put it over your affirmations if you're one of those kind of people. Like that's the thing. And once you know that's the thing, watch and measure things up against that. And that's all you need to care about. And that'll prevent you from micromanaging. To the degree you don't kind of nail down what those things are, you will obsess because you don't know. It's that fear of the unknown. Yeah, and it, it this whole blueprint feels very scalable, very tangible, very, this is what I need to do right now. I can clearly see what I need to work on next. This is how I can get other people to help me that it, it feels very tangible and scalable. Um, what has the reception been like, especially when you're consulting and working with your Fortune 500 clients and solopreneurs? What is what has kind of that feedback been like? Yeah, what people tell me, and it's been grateful to hear because we went through a lot of iterations of of the model, is that it's just really easy to follow. Like uh, because it is a blueprint, and there's tons of free downloads, there's tons of templates that come with it, which is nice. Um, but that all kind of came from distilling out what kind of is each next thing you need to do. Because uh, a lot of times, you know, when we look at like managers that we've liked to work underneath, you know, I remember uh, one from uh, when I was at Harmon Samsung years ago, and she was incredible. She really kind of gave me the tools that I needed and everything else. Um, we often think of great managers. Uh, or great leaders as someone who just they've got it and like that's asking that's like saying well man uh do you look at like the mcgregor fight man he's just got it or you look at someone like the strongest man in the world or like a big power lifter and like they you know they go deadlift uh, a thousand pounds and like man that guy's just so talented that guy's just so talented they just got it. no they followed a plan to get to that point 
And I think many times as entrepreneurs, we think we could never be that because it's not in us. Or wrongly, we also think I have two choices in my career as a business leader. I can either be an entrepreneur or I can be a manager. And I don't want to go into maintenance mode. So I'm going to go pick the entrepreneurial category. But then that scares me because anytime I realize I need to go manage something in my business, I think I'm giving up on my calling as an entrepreneur. That's why there's this whole category called entrepreneurial management. It realizes that you're never going to put your business in maintenance mode. That's not who you are. But you do need a skill set that's going to systematically move you up the ranks of a scalable business. Because we love talking about scalable businesses. um, But there's a lot of ambiguity around like, what are the things I do? in the order that I need to do them in order to get there. And delegation, especially entrepreneurial management, is, is a big part of that. Yeah, and I think as you're trying to grow from solopreneur to having a larger team to expanding your business and scaling, everything's coming at you 90 miles an hour. Hiring, firing, every single piece of your business is coming at you. And some of those pieces of your business probably aren't the things that you're best adapted to. If you're a software engineer and your company is software engineer focused, human resources and culture and marketing and sales are all pieces that don't lie within your spectrum. So you're having to hire for those and which is taking away a lot of time from your software engineering or your vision of your roadmap. So being able to have something tangible where you can see you're not trying to go from level one to level four, no. that's unattainable. Just like the power lifter, Lifting 100 pounds today, I can't lift 1,000 pounds tomorrow. Everything starts going from level one to level two, and that's how you start to build. And I'm I'm so glad that there are things like this and what you've created because I do feel like when it comes to growing that business for, from a solopreneur perspective, a lot of times it does feel kind of murky, you know, because should you go... How big is too big? Should I keep it small? I've heard that smaller is better, but I want to be bigger because maybe there's more investment opportunity or whatever the case. But being able to have that blueprint in place, I feel like that's just super helpful to anybody that's trying to to have those same directions. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And I think you hit on a couple key things because so your business is never going to grow past you, right? So as a solopreneur, you can get deeper and greater talents. Like you can get better and better and better what you do. But really that's synonymous with being just like an A-level employee, right? So you can go really deep on skill set and really trust that skill set. But your business is never going to go past your skill set. And so the question is, do you want a business that's heavy on your skill set or heavy on your vision and really you can't have both like you got to make a choice there it doesn't mean you can't be a skilled entrepreneur um but hopefully your skill set is not what makes your business great otherwise it's going to end up being a pretty limited business not saying you won't ever have impact it just means when you think about the potential that your business could have through the lens of your vision then um then you know it's going to be a limiting limiting factor the other thing i think i'd sort of say to all that is like to the degree you don't start taking those baby steps uh, is going to kind of uh, lead you towards burnout. And burnout is something you know, I talk about a lot with, with entrepreneurs because it's the number one killer of, of businesses. You know, I think uh, it was last year, Hard Business Review put out some information and it was like $300 billion. There's $300 billion in losses 
every single year. And that loss is actually linked directly to burnout of the business leader themselves. And I see it happen over and over again with folks who just, I mean, they sleep at their businesses, they're there on the weekends, and they keep on thinking that someday like there's going to be a tipping point. The tipping point is you getting out of the way. If you don't get out of the way, your business is going to implode. I like to call it the time tax. Eventually, you know, when you first start your business, you're like, I'll give some time to it. You know, it's my baby. I'm going to make it grow, right? So you put in 40 hours, you put in 60 hours, you put in 80 hours. Before you know it, your business is taking all of your time, which means it's taking all of your energy, which means it may like flourish in one area, but then it's going to die on another. It's going to flourish back in another area. It's going to die in another. And you're going to go back and forth and back and forth. And it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller until it's a, you know, just a Nova and it implodes and, and, and it's gone. So we, you've got to start taking those baby steps now. And the, to the degree that we take them seriously, we're going to be able to kind of lift ourselves out of that with a lot less stress, with a lot less pain, and having a lot more time for our family and the things we love to do as well. You know, I don't think that there's enough talk about the energy release of entrepreneurship. Because it's just like you said, it's either full burnout, I work all day, every day on something, and my I, my, my health suffers, my family quality time suffers, or I'm looking for that, you know, work-life balance is kind of a side hustle thing on both ends of the spectrum. But I feel like that that hustle culture was celebrated for so long, you know, where it was kind of that badge of honor to work 90 hours a week. It's like, hey, I didn't sleep this weekend. I didn't see people. All I did was work on my startup. It's like, well, okay. But to your point a while ago, if that's, it can't grow past you. And a lot of times that hindrance is, you being in the way. And I think that that's just such a kind of that light bulb moment of maybe it, maybe it's me. Maybe I need to take that step back, allow my baby a a minute to breathe, not be that helicopter entrepreneur founder who's making sure that they don't wobble to the side a little bit, get out of the way, let it bump into a wall and, and find its footing. Man, I love the way you said that. And just to kind of go back to our earlier imagery of, of working out because uh, there's so many parallels, I think, to that. I'm not like, I, if you're listening to this, I'm not some like jacked guy. Although I, I do love to, to work out. David is. David's David's got it going on. But um, so so when you think about working out, all right, let's say you wanted to go, you know, compete for like uh, the strongest person in the world competition, something like that, or like, uh, you know, a, a Mr. Olympia or, or whatever it is. Um, and that was your goal. If you said to yourself, all right, I'm going to hit that goal because like, that's the dream. I, I know that potential is in me and I'm going to go to that. I'm going to go the distance. Therefore, I'm going to work out 80 hours a week, not see my family and not rest. Are you going to hit that goal? No, you're going to kill yourself. Like your body, your body needs focused execution on the things that work to grow so you can get towards that. And the same, like it's the exact same with entrepreneurship. You, the, the idea of hustle culture, like that's great if you want to go watch like billionaires on HBO or something like that. Like go consume all of the, the movie versions of that that you want. Good entrepreneurs are good at execution and good execution is like, you know, I'm, we're here in Texas, it's like working with a sniper rifle. It's focused, it knows exactly where it wants to hit and it does that. It's not a shotgun approach. It doesn't do everything at once. 
that's going to kill you. You're not going to be able to do it. So uh, a healthy, mature entrepreneur realizes that it's all about the right execution at the right timeline, at the right point, and really nailing that landing, not exhausting yourself. If you exhaust yourself, you're going to be no good, uh, and you're not going to hit your goals. That's just reality. Do you still find that a lot even with maybe some of the advising side when it comes to some of those Fortune 500 companies? Um, Just thinking through the energy release and not and, and take kind of your um your sniper versus shotgun metaphor or is that a little bit more in the solopreneur once you get to the fortune 500 maybe it's not quite you don't see it quite as much the funny thing about i think any business no matter what the size it is um and there's probably parallels to this outside of the business world is that uh they're needy they're needy they're needy relationships right so like if you give it you know 80 hours of your time, it'll take 80 hours of your time. However, if you give it 10 really good hours of your time, it'll take 10 really good hours of your time. So this is hard. Again, part of this is hustle culture, like you were saying. Um, But a business will take what you give it. Um, The healthy thing to realize is that um, just because you're giving doesn't mean it's a healthy relationship, right? So uh, the difference, I would say, between, and this is the hard thing, when when you're when you're just getting stuff off the ground, you do have a lot of identity going back to those drivers and getting that thing off the ground, right? Your name's on the line, your last name's on the line. Um, what are, what are your significant others going to think about you? What are your other entrepreneurial colleagues going to think about you? So you have a lot on the line, like emotionally, you're vested in it, and so it doesn't feel like giving a lot, especially if you're passionate about it. On your the other end of the spectrum, on the fortune end of the spectrum, you know, um, it's more about again you know, uh, rewarding yourself with another type of job. Um, it's not that you don't care about the work. I mean, sure you probably do. Many, many do. Um, but again, fortunes and blue chips are most of the time concerned with keeping that footprint. So whereas a lot of energy at the solopreneur side is about basically getting ground and getting that customer base and moving things forward. Um, so it's kind of an offensive play. Um, fortunes, I would say generally, this is uh, some. I know the CEOs of Fortunes are going to disagree with me. I'm going to get some emails, um, but uh, our, it, it's more of a defensive play. If we're being honest, behind sure. the scenes, it, it's protective work. It's it's hedging work. So it look it's a look it looks a little bit different. Gotcha. So before we wrap up, I want to make sure that everybody can follow you. Um, where can we find your new book that just came out? Tell people just a little bit more about that. But the floor is yours. Take as long as you need. Yeah, not your job. Discover the surprising way to save time, avoid burnout, and do what you love forever. Really, it is focused on solopreneurs or those small business owners who want to scale up. You can find that on Amazon. You can go to piercebrantley.co or you can go follow me at facebook.com slash piercebrantley. We talk about delegation. We talk about management. We talk about faith and all sorts of fun stuff. So um, check out the book and there's tons of free downloads with it too. There's like at least 14, I think they're all going to be super helpful in helping you um, scale up. That's fantastic. And I'll make sure that all of those are linked in the show notes so that people can go find them, check out the book, take away the downloads, everything. This has been a pleasure, Pierce. It's always super fun when I get just a little bit of time to pick your brain. I love keeping up with everything that you're doing. Um, And I, I hope, you know, nothing but the best for yourself as you keep going and book sales through the roof. Dave, it was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. 
Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I'd love if you left a rating and review. You can find me on all social platforms at Real David Ezel. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter chock full of all things entrepreneurship and growth at realdavidezel.com. Until next time.